So yesterday we, we began discussing the day after Shvus syndrome. <coughs> meaning that Matan Torah was meant to leave some type of an impression on us. And how is it meant to leave an impression? And what, imp- what is the impression? There's no more pertinent time to discuss Shvus if we want to be honest and have integrity than after Shvus. Before Shvus it's all hype. After Shvus it's real. So we said that Torah is the way Akash Baruch Hu indicates to us what he wants. In Kabbalah's we say, what you want, I want. The problem we raised yesterday was, and if I don't want? So if I don't want, it seems to be that there's, I cannot, look, you could always be obedient, especially when the, there's a high risk and a, or, or the odds are good, or the, there's a high risk if you don't, and there's big, big payment for if you do. So you can motivate yourself and you can do something that you don't want to do because it's better, it's better in the long run for the other option for whatever reasons. But you're not present. It doesn't capture the innermost parts of yourself. Whereas mutton is meant to be a capturing of the innermost parts of a person's self. And really, the experience began with mutton toy. But I'd like to explore it through the Rabbeinu Yoyna. Um, as Rav Hutner does, he brings us to this Rabbeinu Yoyna Rabbeinu Yoyna wrote a sefer known as Sharei Tshuva, a most beautiful, beautiful work, where he demonstrates, elaborates on how a person can return. Of course, the idea of Tshuva, which is often mistranslated as repentance, really means return, a reconnection with one's essence. reconnection with one's deepest part of self. So that's why it's returning. Because you were there already at some point. And Chuvas looked upon as a, a departure. Sorry. The negative acts are looked upon as a departure from self. And Chuva is a reclaiming of that essential self. So he wrote a book called Shari Chuva. And in that book he describes different methods and approaches to how one can return to his essential being. And in the second shah, in the second gate, in the Derech HaShlishis, the third way, he says the following thing. Kasher Yishma Musar HaChachomim V'Hamoichichim When a person internalizes, accepts, the word Yishma in Aramaic, Shma, doesn't mean here, in the way we understand it, it means accept, receive. Kabel, Aramaic. Kabel, receive. Kasha Yishma Musar when a person internalizes the direction. Musar is an interesting word. Musar means person's placed in a situation where he's called on to confront his essence and his failings. Musa brings your issues to the fore. Instead of evasive play, you have to confront. So when a person confronts himself by listening to the, internalizing the words of the wise and those that are 
directing him. Today we'd call them life coaches. Yakshiv, he listens. Vayishma, he will listen. He will hear. Vayikona, and then as a result, he becomes humble. Vayachzor and then he returns. Vikabobeliboy, and he internalizes in his heart. Called Divratechachos, the directors they've given him. And he resolves not to discount even one word from the words they've said. Everything they've said, he will keep to the T. So that's a process. I want you to just step in back and evaluate that process. A person over here is it's almost in the context of a person goes to hear a share, a drosha. But it doesn't have to be. It could be a life experience whereby all of a sudden a person is given a new insight and he goes, I get it. He sees that his perspective has been distorted. And then all of a sudden he feels aligned. And he goes, okay. It's not, a, it's not a superficial thing. And it's not a guilt thing. So that someone comes to him and they give him like the whole drosha and he says, yes, and if you don't do this, then he says, okay, I'll do it. And he feels guilty if he doesn't do it. It's an epiphany. He has an epiphany. He has, oh, got you. I got it. So it's a deep state of awareness. It's not, it doesn't happen on the periphery of oneself. One of the frustrating things that Adam and I battle with on a daily basis is that most of life we experience on the, on, the, on the surface of our beings. And once a person has experienced life on the deeper part of being, so you realize how inconsequential all these, you know, probably for many the idea what I'm talking about is absolutely foreign. The idea of the, the outside and the inside, what am I talking about? Uh, it's, it's hard to explain but through experience, but to give an attempt at an illustration, there are certain decisions which are based on, call it, variables which are non-essential to self. Someone tries to get you to do something based on guilt. Say, please, why don't you come with us to visit this guy? He's in hospital. And your internal self, your desire is not to go visit him. But the social pressure or a guilty conscience says, okay, I'll go with you. So that's a decision which exists on the periphery of yourself. That's a, that's, a, that's a very shallow decision because it's not really where you are. Behaviorally, you'll go for it. But internally, you're distant from it. And there are other times when a person says, you know, this person is sick, maybe they'd like to come, come with me. And you feel perhaps the pain and the loneliness and you go, for sure, I'm coming. It's a much deeper decision. So there's levels of decisions, and they go deeper and deeper and deeper. The deeper the decision, obviously, the, the, the closer it is to essential self, and therefore the more permanent it is. The more periphery the decision, the more fleeting it is, and it doesn't really stick. You're with me off. So you can have people that, that do a lot, a lot of good stuff, but when their motivations are shallow motivations, they're doing because they want to look good, for example. So then it's very flimsy, and when they stop looking good, they'll stop doing it. There's nothing really holding them in there. But when a person does something because of a deep motivation, it doesn't, it doesn't expire very quickly. It's because it's, it's, it's part, it's so close to his essential self.
Now, what's, what's often true with people who are in the process of from growth, very often they get caught up into superficial growth. And that's why when you see a person who quickly adopts religious garb, you have to be very suspicious. Why, why is he doing that? Like you see people, you get people that they, they're barely from and they've got these beards and these payers. I don't know if you've seen them. They've got beards and payers and then you, like, you confront them and you, and you say, Butch, what happened? You just got off the train yesterday. What are you doing? And uh, they come up with all these excuses like you've never heard before. Really, it's like kind of this trying to make a change on the external because they can't change the internal. But they come with excuses. No, it's a shmira dos and it's a yens and all these like strange, uh, strange notions and ideas which are really horrible and you've just... My favorite is the one-week black hat. You experience it yourself or...? No, not myself. <laughs> That's not right. the one you know, week... I have to close it or because people are like, I'm going black and white, that's it. All this other clothes like I'm never going to wear again. No, no, the truth is, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, I'm not mentioning names, but you know, the people who go blue and white. I mean, what's with the blue and white? Do you know what I'm saying? Black and white or blue and colorful? Blue and white. Crazy, but have some consistency in your life. Is it jeans or is it smart? Don't, don't dance on the fence. Yeah. I don't know what Yofi was thinking. Nah, Yofi's consistent. He's Mamas Yofi. I'm saying, Gavaldic, you know, he's easy, solid, solid. But there's certain people, it's like, uh, take a stand. Get those t shirts back on your back. He's got home halach, what he's doing. It's not, it's not stuff, jeans and a white shirt. It's jeans and a white shirt for a reason. Don't underestimate the Kriegerian theory. <laughs> Don't, not for a second. Uh-huh. But you understand that there's, uh, there's, there's different levels of change. So what he's speaking about over here is quite a profound experience. That's why I say it's an epiphany. When you go, sometimes people go in and like from one drosha, their life changes. Their life literally changes. They get, they get, they get moved. It doesn't, it's not always a drosha, right? It could be an experience. I think I've had these experiences in my life. What would be really effective is imagine if you know these experiences that come around they don't come around that often imagine if you could create those experiences on a regular basis I'm not saying how but imagine if you could function on a deep level proactively you could choose that I want to I want to make my level deep now and I want to in- take stuff on a level which is not in the periphery of my being so what's interesting about the Rabbein Yoyna, he describes this almost as an event, but it's actually, he's giving us direction. In other words, it's almost as if he's pushing us and saying, you can actually enact this epiphany yourself. It doesn't have to just be a reaction, which is spontaneous to the moment. You could actually affect it, which I find very interesting. And of course, very exciting, because if you see the line that he says next, you'll literally fall off your chairs, or benches, as the case may be. But he says, Vihine, this person that's had this epiphany, Vihine, and behold, Haishaze, this man, Berega Koton, in a minute moment, a small second, Yotso Meafela Lorgadl. He changed from darkness to extreme light, brilliant light, tremendous light. 
Now, this is, this is something which I would like to just stop and pause over. Because the way we normally used to understanding the idea of change is incremental. <coughs> not drastic. The way we normally understand change is if change happens fast, it's unhealthy. The black hat in a week. It's unhealthy. Change which happens incrementally is healthy change. And comes along the Rebbein Union and says, when a person changes, he can change in an instant. And I'd like to exacerbate the problem by quoting from the altar of Navadak, who says, if you can't change in an instant, you'll never change. If you don't change in an instant, you'll never change. So over here we get into this notion of instantaneous change. So of course it's, it's again a continuation of the topic of the inner and the outer. Changes which happen momentarily on the outskirts of our being, the more radical the change, the quicker it will dissipate. Changes which happen incrementally on the external part of our being are more solid. Changes which occur on the internal part of our being are immediate and long-lasting. Immediate and long-lasting. Now that's the kind of change that you want to go for. It just saves so much time. So that's what the Rebbein Union says. Vihine ha'isha zeh berega cotton, berega cotton, a regular, berega cotton. Yotza me'afeilo, me'afeilo. He doesn't go from the shade to the sun. He goes from pitch black, the darkest depths, to the highest highs, the most brilliant light, from the deepest darkness to the most brilliant light, in one moment. And he explains, Ki asher because at the moment when he listens and he pays attention, and his heart understands. Not his head, not his actions. And his heart understands, meaning his deepest essence. And he returns. And he receives. When he hears it. In other words, it could be that we do have epiphanies as well. But the Rebbein Union says, you actually have to have something to latch on to this epiphany, otherwise it may, even a deep change may escape your grasp. You have to then almost fortify it, cling on to it, don't let it dissipate. And on the day when this epiphany occurs, he, descri- he, he accepts upon himself the consequences of his insight and he resolves he will do everything that's required of him based on the insight that he's had. He will be careful to the areas where he needs to be careful. Also, he has done complete tshuva. And then he says the three words which tempt us deeply towards this approach and he says and he becomes transformed revolutionized 
to a different person. It's a mahapecha, a revolution, an internal transformation. Like that. Like that. So what you're going to have to figure out is what's the science of this transformation. Because these are the kind of transformations I would like to have. I think one of the deepest frustrations that people suffer when learning in yeshiva is perhaps the pace of change. Not when they... When, when they... I think people generally in life are dubious about if they can change well, and even if they can change, how much they can change. Experientially, anecdotally, anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people are kind of questioning. So do people really change? Can't really change. People change. Shift a little bit here. You know, in other words, there's a difference between getting better and changing. Getting better means you stay the same and you become more proficient at what you do. Changing meaning means that you don't do the same thing, you do something different. What we strive to do is we strive to change. Because change is the biggest indicator of life, whereas habit, stagnancy is the sign of death. People can die long before they're dead. Just, you just replicate death in a, in, in a more active fashion. <laughs> Life is all, it's dynamic. It's, it's always different every moment. I'll give you an analogy that Rav Dessler says just to feel the freshness of the world around us. The way we see world is continuous. We see life as continuous. But really life is like a movie. The way a movie is made up is there's a reel. And in every reel there are thousands and thousands and thousands of frames. But every frame is its own reality. When you push it through a projector at a speed, the appearance is it's a continuous movement. But the truth is, each one is its own separate entity. And each one is its own moment in time. And you could stop in that moment and experience that moment for what it is. And then you could experience the next moment for what it is. But instead, we get caught in the continuity, in the fluidity, and we lose, lose out the moment, the presence of being. First, I want you to just stop for a moment and reflect on your usage of the word postulate. <laughs> um, first of all, in terms of, I'm saying it's a great word to use. Haven't you used that recently? No, again, those are the kind of words I use, but the kind of words to understand. That's, that, I'm just pointing that out. I'm saying I feel that there's been a major, major progression over here. I'm saying in terms of just, just in terms of vocabulary, I feel you've come a long way. Fantastic. So, what were you postulating? <laughs> That, that a lot of people in yeshiva have already changed but are just getting better at it. Like, we want to be good, but we're, like, we're practicing, you know? It could be true that a lot of people who are in yeshiva have changed a lot. Could be. It could be that they've changed a little and it's on the periphery. And even if they've changed a lot, why, why stop now? Yeah. 
I'm having trouble like envisioning it though. Am I, should I be looking at like, like every person has like a bunch of like bars that they need to fill up, and like they can like change the bars. Like the bars might be if you're in the secular world, like being mean or like stealing stuff, fighting with people, and then when you change to being religious, like you, you like have new bars, like being nice, doing chesed, helping old ladies across the street, and we're like filling up those bars to try and like master those attributes or like is changing changing the bars or how, how should I be looking at it so, somebody speaking in the context he's saying it is that we're speaking about Kabbalah Satoya right receiving the Torah right so the question is is the reception of the Torah an internal or an external act somebody speaking it sounds as if it's external because receiving the Torah would be well Yesterday, before I received the Torah, I did not put on tefillin. Today I put on tefillin. Yesterday I did not wear tzitzit, today I wear tzitzit. Yesterday I went bareheaded. Today I'm skull-capped. Um, it sounds like it's, it's just behavioral change. That's one way of understanding it. The other way of understanding it is that a person's connection receiving of Torah changed something in the internal operating mechanism. And then as a result, he puts on tefillin. So it's not, the, it's not that the tefillin is a change. The tefillin is a manifestation of a deeper sense. So now, once, once you, if you view change in Torah like that, which is kind of the way we're going, so then there's no end. Because the more you understand Torah, the deeper your grasp is, the more you can internally move towards it. It's very interesting the way that Chazal go out of their way to keep on making analogies between the physical body and the spiritual body. Physical body has got 248 limbs, 365 sinews, 248 organs, 365 lineages, and the mitzvahs are 248 positive, 365 negative. Why are they saying that? It's almost as if they're saying that the, that the, the Torah is not a, it's not, a, it's not a book of rules. It's a portrait. It's a portrait of, how, I don't know what I look like. I don't know what's inside of me. So the Torah gives you insight into who you are. It describes you. So you, you, you yourself think that if someone comes to you, schnitzel day. Schnitzel day is always a day which is filled with tension building up to the lunchtime period. you understand? Dinner time. And there's one more schnitzel left and the person that's in front of you has had seconds. And he stabs the last schnitzel and he's saying, sorry buddy, but, but I, I haven't had yet. He says, I'm hungry. Go jump in a lake. <laughs> takes a schnitzel with his knife and consumes the entire thing, glancing from time to time at you and snarling. Next day, you're at the lunch table. Next week, you're at the lunch table. And now, there's a role reversal. You're in the schnitzel line before him. And there's one last schnitzel. And now you say to yourself, Buddy, it's time for me to get revenge. And you take the schnitzel and you say, Look at this beauty, Boyki. 
Yeah. But if okay. you don't do that, he thinks he can get away with one it. One second, one second, before you come up with your bad medicine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what happens if you... So that, that, that you agree is like, that would be normal, right? That's a normal thing to do. What would be, what would be even... What would be even... What would be even elevated, which you think praiseworthy, is you say to him, you stab the schnitzel, and you say to him, here you go, I'm not an ingrate like you. And you give it to him. Either of those two actions are Torah prohibitions. One is called loisikoim, and one is called loisitor. Do not avenge and do not bear grudge. Now, until the Torah came along, I would never imagine that those things should be prohibited. Not only that, I would never imagine it within my capability to actually not bear the grudge. I would think that's beyond human possibility. So when the Torah says to me, don't do that, it's saying, you can not do that. It's describing the greatness of yourself that you can say, do you know what? You know, I don't care what happened last week. Have the schnitzel gay gesundheit. hate. Would you like some tomato sauce with it? <laughs> Ketchup. You're talking about like controlling your inner tendencies. Then. Describing your inner world. Everything the church tells you is not what you should do. It's what you are. When I say to you, you should do this. Should, should is a very, is a very tricky word. You have to be very careful how you use should. Should can be dodgy. Deeply dodgy. Should, you have to be careful. Should, should often evokes negative connotations. It can cause a person to respond with a rebellion. It's not should. It, it is. If you say can though, you like, you can not do it. No, I'm not I saying can. can. I'm not saying can. I'm saying you are. I don't say you should daven Shema in the morning. I say you are Shema in the morning. You are Shachris. Wake up in the morning. So the question is, how, how, how should I sleep? What should my routine be? So when I'm deeply in touch with myself, my internal spiritual clock will wake me up just before sunrise. Because that's the ideal time to wake up. Not, not that... That's the way you say it in Shivishprach. It's not that the best time to daven is nights. That if my internal clock is perfectly spiritually attuned, I will daven, I will wake up early before dawn so that I can go through the process of transition from night to day, known as sunrise, with a special filler on my lips. That's really what I that's what that's what I am. That's not what I do. That's what I am. That's what I am. Same word for Chatzot. Okay, we'll discuss that at a later, more advanced stage of our Jewish progression. Yes, Joshua. Um, so I think like the psychology in the West like considers it very differently. Like, um, like we uh, we have the ego, which is the outside, to control what we like, the bad things that are in our innermost self. So, and Torah is saying the opposite way, that our innermost self is actually better than what's happening. Absolutely. As we will soon see, Torah asserts and affirms the purity of the inner self. So, so then does that mean like psychology as it is today is completely wrong? Well, again, psychology using using a very um, 
sweeping description of um, a very complex. Yeah, but okay, but psychology is there's many different fields of psychology, in many different branches. So Freudian psychology, you know, it's, it's today Freudian psychology has been moved forward eons. Freud's notion of you know the I'm not too familiar with it, but from from my superficial glance, it appears that you know the the sexual desire being the primary primary motive in man. So that that wouldn't that wouldn't be consistent with Torah. But there are stuff like the subconscious that before the before Freud published, I think it was in 1870 something, his whole treatise on subconscious. Rabbi Sosalante actually preceded him with a work known as Pre-Eitzchayim where he also speaks out the subconscious mind. So uh, it's, not, it's not clear if he, if he got independently or... But you see here the, the, the notion of subconscious is something that, that is consistent with, within the idea of this underlying, more powerful part of self which actually that's the part that really makes decisions, even though we mistakenly think that our conscious mind makes decisions, our conscious mind doesn't make decisions. Unless we, they are to be discussed. All, all evolving understandings as we progress in our journey ever forward in getting closer to the Rebosh Olam. Gary Jay. So, um, you said that it can happen instantaneously, that you go from very dark to very light. Yeah, uh, one moment. So it can or it does? Like how do you? Because a lot of people they stumble many times. Depends. So it's, I think it depends on <coughs> at what point, at what at what level of being the change is taking place. The deeper the the deeper the change is, the quicker it is. The more externally orientated it is, the slower it is in order for, if you want to maintain it. So in other words, if it's happening on an external level, so then you have to do small change, small change, small change, and then they'll stick. Big changes externally will sweep, be swept away in a second. But when it's internal, in one moment you can transform yourself. So how does that happen? I believe that's a topic of our share. I mean, do you want the answer right now? You don't want to wait for it? No, okay. You want to change on the, do you want me to do it to you? Is that what you want? Yeah, I want to get it. I mean, just the line you read, you know? So let's wait and see. He's going to discuss it. It's going to, again, it's all going to play back into the day after Shavuos. What is Matan Torah all about? See me in Matan Torah, the Jews transformed in one second, right? They said, Nice Nishma, as we're about to see. Nice Nishma was at Epiphany, which was a moment of transformation. And from that day onwards, the entire Jewish nation, on a spiritual level, looked completely different. They effected a fundamental change in their very spiritual makeup. In that one instant, Nasev Nishma, boom, different people, different nation, different world. So the question is, well, we are the, we are the descendants of the Nasev Nishma Nikim. So do we have to restate it? Do we have to rediscover it? How's it work? And that's really what we, we're exploring over here. It's, it's an exploration. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to give beautifully packaged shiurim as may as they, they, you can do it but then then, uh, then, then, then Krieger will fire me because he'll say to me it's just uh, it's just rhetoric he wants the essence yeah, the vort the danger of the vort so Rabbi said that's something for us to continue pondering and uh, I thank you for your patience and uh, participation